0: When, um, uh, from the age of 10 to the age of 18, I went to boarding school, I went to a place called Scaresbrick Hall School uh, in Ormskirk near Southport, and uh, it was a Christian school. So one of the things that meant is that on Sunday morning, um, the entire school would decamp into a series of coaches, and we would go to church. And we went to a church, uh, a brethren church, which means very formal uh, in Southport called Canning Road Chapel. Uh, it's still there to this day. And uh, if you can imagine, this is a, a, um, a traditional sort of four-square building, and it had a central uh, row of seats or pews, and then two either side. And the church would fill up with just us from school, one whole side of the church. And we all had to dress the same. We had to own, possess, and wear a grey suit for Sunday morning. So uh, we would listen to the sermon patiently because if we weren't patient, we got punished. (coughs) And they did have corporal punishment. Um, If it was the headmaster, it was a cane. If it was the games master, it was a trainer. And if it was the cane, you got to pick through a range of different canes which one he was going to hit you with. And all I can say is don't choose the rosewood. We would be coming back from church in the coach and we would deconstruct the sermon. Um, It's fair to say that this was not a deep uh, theological discussion. Okay, it was basically how bored we were, uh, how good we thought the speaker was, uh, whether we felt he'd kept to a reasonable length. And the answer to that was always no. But the one thing was, if the speaker started off with an interesting story, then he had us. He got our attention. He might lose it later, but he had us. So, having told you a story, can we now have a look at the end of Romans and chapter 8? For those who'd like to follow in their own versions, we're picking up from verse 16 and reading through to verse 30. And uh, uh, unless I have a um, a relapse, I'm going to use the New American Standard throughout. So, Has everybody got this on their uh, device, word processor, telephone? Yeah. Oh, and, and, and indeed printed Bible. Right, okay. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have already been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he has already seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Just some context. Uh, the letter to the Romans is addressed to and written for a church that the writer, Paul, uh, hadn't actually visited when he wrote to them. And unlike the other churches Paul wrote to, the Roman church didn't seem to have, didn't seem to have any particular issues. So he wasn't writing to bring correction or to uh, mediate a dispute or to comment on some hot theological issue. Um, uh, in terms of the historical context... The Christian church in Rome was not undergoing particular persecution when Paul wrote the letter. Uh, But uh, anti-Semitism, which is to say uh, opposition to those of the Jewish faith, was on the rise. And by Edict of Emperor Claudius, those of the Jewish faith were banished from Rome. Now, the Roman church was a mix of those brought up in the Jewish faith, and those who weren't. So while we don't know for certain, this persecution may well have affected some of the Jewish Christians. And because there were Christians with a Jewish background in the Roman Church, Paul specifically addresses the matter of the law in earlier chapters. And uh, in actual fact, it's there in the background. He references it in the background pretty much throughout the letter. So that if you're familiar with the law, if you have a Jewish background, you can actually pick up some of the references. But anyway, there was no pressing issue prompting Paul to write uh, to the Roman church. And on top of this, in chapter 15, he acknowledges the Roman church to be, quote, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Now there's some stuff about uh, travel arrangements and some practical stuff in the letter, but it really the whole preface there begs the question why why Paul wrote the letter. Uh, I kind of uh, this helps me to understand it anyway. But in in my professional life, uh, I've occasionally been party to a contract I've signed, a contract for my employer. And in that context, came across the legal phrase for the avoidance of doubt. Someone who knows that phrase well is grinning at me uh, from the third row. This is used when, uh, even though there's unlikely to be a difference of understanding, it just makes sense to spell things out in detail. So there's no room for misunderstanding or error or later disagreement. So there's no room for them to claim that it is okay to deliver that statue with no arms, for example. Now, if you ordered a statue, would you expect it to come with arms? Okay, but if the contract is properly drafted, it would have something in it that says, for the avoidance of doubt, the statue will have arms and legs and will be composed as follows. Have I got that about right? Right, okay, got that about right. And that's what Paul really is doing in the book of Romans. He's writing to fortify and to underscore a shared understanding when it came to the gospel. And his chosen method is just to uh, lay out in this letter God's plan of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, In what F.F. Bruce calls a sustained and coherent statement of the gospel. So, we speak sometimes of God's amazing grace and uh, even sometimes of his outrageous grace. Um, But in Romans, perhaps we catch a sight of his relentless grace. So, a bit of background to what is quite a dense passage a sustained and coherent statement of the gospel. So, leading into our passage, we read from verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, uh, Paul is moving us on, really, in these verses, from the theme of uh, the spirit of adoption, which Nigel preached on at the beginning of the month, to twin themes of uh, sufferings and glory. Sufferings and glory. Uh, and when I was preparing this, I became aware that there was a danger here. That this uh, sermon, a uh, message this morning, becomes something of a personality test. Uh, those of a, a perky, upbeat nature... Would go away convinced they'd heard a message on glory. And those of a more melancholic, uh, introspective disposition would believe they'd heard a sermon on suffering. Uh, and, and both would be wrong. Sufferings and glory come together. Uh, as Stock puts it, they did in the experience of Christ and they do in the experience of his people. To pinch a computing term... Uh, For the nerds amongst us, sufferings and glory come bundled together. They're not the same thing, but you don't get one without the other. Um, Now, some of you know our house was bought uh, off plan. It was a new build. And on moving day, we arrived uh, with the furniture lorry and all our things at the appointed time to discover it wasn't quite finished. It was almost habitable. So, we and the removal men sat outside the house for I think it was three hours or thereabouts until such time as we were able to take possession of it. And if you'd asked me what my address was during those three hours, I'd have been stuck because we'd already handed over the keys to our old house and not yet got the keys to the new one. As Christians, we live in the tension between the already and the not yet, between this age and the age that is to come, between present sufferings and future glory. We live both with the consequences of our broken world and with our own physical and ethical failings. Uh, But that is just for the present. But these verses tell us that one day we will share in and be changed by the glory, the very splendor, of our eternal, incorruptible, holy God. And that glory will be revealed to us. Now, there there is a danger here, I think, that we begin to weigh our present sufferings against our future glory. We look for some kind of Um, trade-off. Is anyone old enough to remember the clapometer? I know Nigel is. Anyone else? Yeah, there's a, a, a few people. This was the most appalling, hokey thing on a, a programme called Opportunity Knocks. And when the Variety Act had finished, everybody would clap and this, this needle would go up to show how much uh, clapping, how loud it was for the, um, uh, for the artiste. And this was how they decided who won. It was, of course, a complete fix and, and a load of rubbish. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a complete fix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I've just disabused Nigel now. Um, But but there isn't a trade-off. There isn't a measurement. There isn't, well, glory has to be this good for me to have that much suffering. There isn't, I buy my glory with suffering. That's just not the case. Okay. Uh, Remember, you know, Paul, um, he's the writer of, of this letter. And he writes this in 2 Corinthians about himself. He says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers amongst false brethren. I have been in labour and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. And yet he writes in Romans, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, he's someone who's better qualified than any of us to play the comparison game. But he won't play. Uh, His exact words are not worthy to be compared He won't play the comparison game and neither should we. So we move on through the passage, Uh, if I may, a little background. Uh, Genesis 3.17, we hear God saying to Adam and Eve, Cursed is the ground because of you. This is a consequential judgment on the disobedience and sin of mankind. Um, It's something God has done because of what they did. Consequential, their sin had consequences. Um, This has rendered the created world, the the, the very ground itself, a slave to corruption. And that means it's trapped in a a cycle of of birth and growth, of decline and decay. Um, And right now, creation is groaning. But we recognise this to be the groaning of childbirth. And the sufferings of childbirth will be followed by the joy of new life, a new beginning. So this passage contains the promise and expectation that the whole of creation will be redeemed and glorified. And it is because God's children will be redeemed and glorified. Verse 23. Paul speaks of the children of God already having the first fruits of the Spirit. The point is not that the first fruits are in any way deficient. Uh, The first fruits of the Spirit are glorious. But the point is that they are the first fruits, The, the early ones. And that the harvest really hasn't got going. The first fruits of the Spirit point to and, and give expectation of a full, a full and glorious harvest, complete in every way. The first fruits of the Spirit are both a foretaste and a promise of a harvest to come. Now, the passage says that that we're groaning. So why are we groaning? Uh, I go back to my earlier illustration. If you can picture me outside the house in the car, the removal men are by this point sound asleep in the cab of the removal lorry, three abreast. Uh, The children are getting fractious and I'm parked right outside the house. And the house looks great. Uh, The point of the whole thing was to take possession of the house. And for present, I can't go in. I know I'll get in at some point, but in the meantime, I groaned inwardly. And I think, in the uh, uh, you know, to to be honest, it's fair to say I groaned outwardly as well, <laughs> extensively and for some length. Asked my wife, "Why do we groan? We groan because of our present frustration and our future longing." Uh, We groan because of our our present physical and moral failings and limitations. And we groan because we're waiting for our final adoption. Um, Every once in a while, I don't know if she's done it in your hearing, but my wife will say something like, Oh, I long for heaven. That's kind of Belinda's groaning. That's where she's coming from. The, oh, is the nearest you get from her because she's very genteel and she's from the south. Okay. Plus she doesn't have a deep voice. But what she's doing is she's illustrating that, this groaning, this, you know, I long, I just long for the time. I long for it. And that's the groaning that this is talking about. So we live... In this tension between the already and the not yet, we are thankful and blessed with what we've got. we groan for what we haven't yet got. And Paul points up that we are saved by faith and in hope. And this is what Spurgeon writes far better than me. At all times, but especially when we get a glimpse of Christ... Our soul pines to be with him. This desire is accompanied with a confident expectation. We as much expect to see the glory of Christ and to share it as we expect to see tomorrow morning. We believe it, we (coughs) desire it and we expect it. That is the nature of our hope. It's not an indefinite, hazy, groundless wish that things may turn out all right. But it's a hope made up of right knowledge, firm belief, spiritual desire and warranted expectancy. This hope is grounded upon the word of God. God has promised us this and therefore we believe it, desire it and expect it. And then there's a, I think it's a slightly odd turn of phrase in verse 25. uh, With perseverance... We wait eagerly for it, it being our hope fulfilled. Um, You might have seen on on TV uh, a treaty negotiation going on of some kind. It's all very tense. And a negotiator steps out of the conference room um, uh, to the waiting press. and, uh, And they stress that they are so eager for an outcome. Maybe this is a peace negotiation, maybe lives are at stake. They're so eager for an outcome that they're prepared to be patient in order to achieve it. And that is the sense Paul is using. We should not be so eager that we lose patience, nor so patient that we become passive. Mm. So now Paul turns to the, the, the place and the part played by the Holy Spirit in prayer building upon his teaching on the Holy Spirit ministry earlier in the letter. And, you know, this point should be read in that context. Uh, Speaking personally, there are lots of times when I, I know, or should know, what to pray for. There are times, for example, when I'm praying directly out of my knowledge of the word and character of God. God is love. God is mercy this is a direction to how I pray. And we're generally not confused when it comes to praying for aspects of our own character because we, we know ourselves, we hold ourselves up against the word of God, we know what to pray for. At <laughs> least if we're honest. Uh. And if a Christian friend asks us for specific prayer, for a specific issue, we might stumble over the exact words, but we generally know what to pray for. I mean, if I asked any three of you to pray uh, for me to be healed. You just use different words. But that's okay. You know what to pray for. And and of course we know that it isn't okay to pray for success in a sinful pursuit. You know, uh, uh, Lord, bless me in my bank robbery is, is not an acceptable prayer. So there's actually a lot we do know. But to get our head around what Paul is dealing with in this passage, we have to recognize that he's speaking of how the Holy Spirit helps us to pray in our weakness. And that weakness derives from the things that make us groan. Our present frustrations, our future longings, our physical moral failings and limitations, and the wait for final adoption. But do you know there is encouragement? We are expected to pray, but we are not always expected to know what to pray. And when we stumble about, as we see it, inarticulately failing to get a grip on the matter for prayer or even struggling to identify the matter for prayer, I'm looking at this issue. I know I need to bring it to you, Lord, but I just have not the slightest idea what to do. The Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us, expressing to the Father in a profound and intimate way that which we cannot express for ourselves. And it isn't just creation that does the groaning and us that does the groaning. The Holy Spirit groans. Um, Paraphrasing Piper. I'm paraphrasing because he uses some very hard to pronounce words. Even when we don't know what we would like to know and can't pray specifically and with the assurance of God's will, we mustn't lose heart. But trust that God has his purposes in this and has provided for us in our weakness for the Spirit prays for us. I just think that is astonishing. You know, Tim was praying uh, earlier and he just said, I haven't got the words. The Holy Spirit, Tim, prays for you. All of us, if we cannot articulate it, if we cannot express it, the Holy Spirit prays for us in our weakness. That is... Ooh, Amazing. Change of gear. I'd like to preface the next section with some words of Donald Rumsfeld. He said, looking at our token American at the back. Um, He served in the Bush administration in America during the Iraq conflict, and he famously said this to the press corps. And I have to tell you, they were dissolved into historical, uh, sorry, hysterical (laughs) laughter by the end of it. And it's on, it's on um, YouTube. Go have a look. I'm not making this up. This is what he said: "Quote, there are no knowns. Things we know, we know. There are known unknowns. That is to say, things we now know we don't know. There are also unknown unknowns. Things we do not know, we don't know." Can you? (laughs) This guy's in charge of the army. Military intelligence, oxymoron if ever I heard one. We don't have to tie ourselves in knots. Verse 28 of our passage tells us this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We know. We know that God... Causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We might be in pain, we might be confused, we might be in need, we might be in health, certainty and plenty, but we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Actually, we might not know what to pray for, but we do know that. We might have little or no idea what's going on or what's happening to us. We might feel hapless in whatever our situation is, but we do know that. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We know it. We know it. It is not more complicated than that. And you can switch it round a bit. Just point out that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, God is at work in all things. And that includes the things that make us groan. It includes the sufferings we experience. I remember lying in a hospital in a small provincial French town with heart failure, wondering... I think quite ruefully, if I recall correctly, how God was going to work this one together for my good. Um, Assuming I survived. I I remember the worry on Belinda's face. She had a a full gown and a mask and everything, but even I could see, you know, the the forehead. That's how she gives away when she's worrying, if any of you wondered. I remember how frightened the children were. I remember how upset Matthew was because he was too young to be allowed to see me. Uh, I remember subsequently um, kissing my job, career and full-time work goodbye as my recovery stalled. I remember my consultant discharging me, basically telling me that in his professional opinion, for me, this was as good as it was going to get. Now, all of that is personal to me. My sufferings aren't your sufferings. I know that some of you really have suffered. There are doubtless people here. I don't know, but it is true of you. And yet, we know God is at work in our lives for our good. There's no implicit or explicit promise that we will be able to understand our sufferings or that we will be able to know the mind of God in them. There's no promise that it won't make us feel bad. And yet, For those who love God and are called according to his purpose, we can be absolutely confident that God has worked in our lives for our good and the ultimate good is to bring us through to glory. God has a saving purpose towards his children, towards you and me. And he's working in accordance with it. And despite how it might sometimes look from our perspective... From where we stand, for those who love God, life is not a random mess. Packer puts it like this. He says, "Every single thing that happens to us expresses God's love to us." This is maybe why Romans 8:28 is, is generally considered to be one of the most sweeping and the most loved promises in the Bible. I'm behind, don't I? Never mind. For the avoidance of doubt, Paul goes on to elaborate what he means by God's purpose. Did you notice how I got that in again? Uh, <clears throat> and in this section, I'm going to be brief. I sail amongst large theological reefs. Firstly, he uses the word for new. Uh, before we get too excited, uh, we should probably note that of course he foreknew us. Uh, you know, he, he's God. He foreknows everyone. We should also take note that in the Hebrew and in the Old Testament usage, the word foreknew is broadly equivalent to the word foreloved. So God loved us first, which is something we freely recognise and celebrate. Uh, secondly, he uses the word predestined, We know that our salvation is the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, don't we? We didn't save ourselves, God saved us. And when we pray, as we've done this morning, we praise God for his saving grace towards us. And when we pray for those who don't know God, we ask God to save them. We don't shirk from our responsibility as the carriers of the gospel, but we know and understand that it is God who saves So whatever our theological position might be, I I like Packer who put it like this. He said, On our feet we might have debate and argument, but on our knees we're all agreed, for we all pray that God would save. Thirdly, he uses the word called. Um, To those whom God called in verse 30 are those he has called according to his purpose in verse 28. And the call is the gospel. And then he uses the word justified. This is a declaration that we have become righteous in God's sight because we are in Christ. God looks at us and sees only the righteousness of Jesus. It is a hackneyed phrase, but it is a good one. It is just as if I'd never sinned. And then we get to glory. Well, I'm, I'm quite pleased about that. You know, I think Belinda's going to be first out the door. glory is the last one of the uh, of the five because it's the final destination it's where we're going it's the end of the line change here for eternity to those who love god to those who are called according to his purpose as stock puts it our destiny is to be given new bodies in a new world both of which will be transfigured with the very glory of god Uh, anyone up for that Now, either you're not awake. Anyone up for that? Whatever we're going through now, uh, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that is a firm promise. That's where we're going. sufferings and glory we can't be so downcast that our eyes are fixed on our sufferings we can't be so downcast that uh, we almost become a suffering junkie we can't be so downcast that uh, in some senses we expect to be the person to whom it goes wrong yeah, that is that is not the sweep of uh, of Romans eight. That's not what it's saying at all. Nor is it saying, you know, we should be like the uh, this will please Steve, like the the knight in the the Holy Grail thing, where there's a fight goes on and. He has his arm cut off. Oh, no, 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 a flesh wound. And another arm, no, 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 I'm fine. I'll hold the sword in my mouth. And then his legs. And you know, we can't be like that. We have to be practical. You know, if it hurts, it hurts. Okay. But that doesn't affect glory. So on the one hand, you've got this whole uh, issue where people absolutely refuse to accept that they've got a problem whatever it might be. And the associated issue with that is they therefore won't ask for or accept help when it's available and ready to be given. And then over here you've got these people who, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, you know. Um, I'm, I'm going to betray a secret here. Uh, you might remember the soothsayer in Up Pompeii. Frankie, Frankie Howard was, was one of uh, <laughs> Callie's favorite comedians. It was very rude. But the say used to come in and the sixth go she'd go, "Whoa, whoa. What? You can't be that person either. You know, you can't be that person. Uh, uh, how did it go? Whoa, whoa." And then there'd be the next installment of what had gone horribly wrong, was about it yes sufferings the bible is clear they will happen glory the bible is clear will happen first fruit the bible is clear we have now as a foretaste and a promise of what is to come so while the musicians come up can i just talk about verse 28 um mm-mm. that's That's all right you can slip past you can slip past verse 28 tells us that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose and there's no way around it this is a conditional promise it does not apply to everybody Um, for the promise to apply to you two things have got to be true you have to love God and you have to be called according to his purpose You can't be someone who admires God from a distance but has no relationship with him. That does not get you in to that promise. We can't own or claim this promise nor rely upon it uh, unless we love God And and are called according to his purposes. Now, it could be this morning. Actually, you believe you love God. You feel you have something there but you're just not sure about that called according to his purposes thing. In, in which case, we'd love to talk to you about that. We really would. me or, or Nigel or Phil. Removed. Or it could just be that this is all new to you uh, and very confusing. Um, but you want to know that security. You want to know that God has got you back. And we'd like to talk to you about that as well. Okay? So... We're just going to uh, finish with a song. You're welcome to grab any one of the two of us during the song and the three of us at coffee afterwards. (laughs) Okay.